close. Um, we're going to be we're going to be talking about a different subject today from last week. Uh, although we are still in this series that we're calling Unstrapped, Biblical Wisdom About Money. I, I don't need to see your hands, but I dare say that if we were to go around the room and do a survey today, there'd be many people who would say, well, I've had or currently do have struggles with my finances and with my money, and I'm doing everything I can to get it all pulled together, uh, but I need some wisdom. I need to know what God has to say about my money and, and the things that come into me to be a steward over. And so last week we talked about tithing, if you remember and you were here. And by the way, thank you so much for the many positive comments. You know, when you're a pastor, it's always, it's always more fun to preach those Pentecostal topics where you, you think somebody's going to get excited and spit all over the place and maybe run an aisle and do a Jericho march and all that kind of thing. Uh, you know, you get excited about that kind of stuff, but when it comes to something like this, you pretty well know in advance that there's not going to be a whole lot of shouting in the house. You know what I'm saying? Uh, and yet, we are required to preach the whole Word of God. And my goal is not to, uh, to, to hype you up, but my goal instead is to try to get the Word of God in you in such a way that you can hear it and understand it. So last week, we talked about the tithe. And our definition, our working definition for that was this. The tithe is the first 10% of all income that you receive, given with an attitude of gladness to the Lord, to the local church where you attend, with a spirit of humility. So that is our working definition of the tithe. And we talked about how that if you eliminate any of those things at all, then the tithe becomes corrupt. It is not a real tithe. For instance, if you don't give 10%, which is what God requires, and you only give 5%, you are not tithing. You are corrupting what God has determined to be what we should do. If you give less than 10%, if you give somewhere other than the local storehouse, as an example, if you give your 10% tithe uh, to Joyce Meyer, I know that she appreciates it, and I'll even go on record as saying she's probably worthy of, of all the gifts that she can have come her way, She's a wonderful minister, but if you take your tithe and you send it any, anywhere other than the local storehouse, then the tithe becomes corrupted because it is what God intends for use in the local church. Uh, if we do it to be seen of men, so if we take our envelope and we wave it up in the air and say, hey, everybody, look, I'm going to the boxes at the back of the house. I'm going to drop my tithe in the box. And we stand back there and take the lid and bang it a few times and then so that people can say, what in the world's going on at the back of the house? Oh, well, look, so-and-so must be paying their tithe then because of the attention that we're trying to bring into ourselves, then we, uh, we are corrupting the tithe because our motivation and humility should be something that we value. And so we talked about this idea of tithe, and we got a pretty good understanding uh, about what we need to be doing when it comes to tithe. Now today, our text is from 2 Corinthians chapter 8, and then also chapter 9, verses 6 through 15. But now I'm not going to read the whole thing at the beginning because it's quite a lot, but it all has to do with this idea of giving today. So today I'm not going to talk about tithing, but I am going to talk about giving. And you say, well, isn't that the same thing? And my answer to you would be, well, no, it's not really the same thing. Because tithing and giving are different in many ways. Now let me start out by saying that we need to understand about the foundation for Christian giving. What we, what, what we lay as the foundation needs to be solid. Now you would probably agree that in order for us to have the proper foundation for giving that, that, that we build on, we have to tear down some learning 
and, and relearn some things that we weren't taught when we were children. Let me give you an example. See, when, from the time we were very young, we were, we were taught the blessing of receiving. When we were little and we had birthdays, our parents brought us birthday gifts. They made us special cakes. I know the Williams family loves Legos. They wouldn't be out of order to have a Lego cake, as long as it's edible, right? I mean, you don't want to just look at it. You want to eat it. So we teach our kids that when you have a birthday, we're going to bring gifts. We're going to bring presents. We're going to have balloons. It's going to be all about you. And so we do that on birthdays. We do it at Christmas. We bring presents and gifts, and we give to our children. Well, I, I, when I was a kid, all you had to do to get a dollar under your pillow was to lose a tooth. How many of you were that way? I mean, the tooth fairy. I never did meet the tooth fairy. Don't know who he or she is. Uh, but every tooth that I ever lost, somebody put a dollar underneath my pillow. And so the point I'm trying to make is, is that from a very young age, we are taught this idea that we are to receive. We're not talking about giving. And the reason that giving is so difficult is because our lives are built on that wrong foundation of receiving rather than giving. Then we get older and it's time to go to college or to get a job or to go to trade school, whatever the case may be. And we're told that if you'll get a degree or if you'll get a skill through trade school, then you can make a lot of money. And, and our goal as parents is for you to make more money than I make and have more than I make and to be more blessed than I've ever been blessed. And so we start working toward this idea of of positioning ourselves so that we can get, so that we can receive, so that it can come to us. And that's what we're taught. And our parents say, wouldn't you want to have more than I have? And the, the, the only answer to that is, is, well, yes, I'd love to have more than you have. And so we work toward that. And then something happens. We grow up. We come to Christ. And when we come to Jesus, immediately that is turned upside down for us. Because we discover that it is not the receiving where the blessing is. It is in giving that we are blessed. That by having a mentality of giving, that we are able to bring blessing into our lives. But it must, there must be an outflow before there can be an inflow of blessing. So we have to instantly understand that it's no longer about what I receive, but it is more blessed to give than to receive. So chapter 8 verse 5 says this, and Paul is writing to the Corinthians and he says, They gave themselves to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Let me read it again. They gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. So there are two things that have to take place if we're going to rebuild the foundation of our finances. And the first is, is that we must be committed to the person of Christ. We cannot make Jesus who we want him to be. We must be committed to who Jesus actually is. And we must be committed to the person of Christ. And then secondly, we must be committed to his purpose for our lives. How many of you know that you are all called? That you have a purpose in living? That God has created you so that you can give back to this world that you are a part of? So the first thing is, is that we have to correct this foundation from the faulty teaching that we receive from being a, a, a child. The second thing is, is that we need to understand the forerunner in Christian giving. In other words, there is, there is an example set for us in Scripture for giving. 2 Corinthians chapter 8 Verses 8 and 9 says, I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, 
so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Now, let's break this down a little bit. What he's telling us here is that Jesus has set an example for us in giving by being the supreme giver. He was willing to let go of things that were very valuable to him personally so that he could give to others, so that he could give to the world. Now, Romans chapter 8, verse 3 says this. It says, For what the law was powerless to do in that it was weakened by the sinful nature, God, by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful man, to be a sin offering. I would underline that if I were you. And so he condemned sin in sinful man. And then Ephesians chapter 5 verse 2 expands this idea by saying, And live a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice of God. Now, here are two things that, are, that we need to understand. First of all, God sent Jesus so that he would be a sin offering. Have you noticed that word offering? We, we often refer to Jesus as our Savior. We refer to him as our Lord. We refer to him as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and the many things that we could ascribe to him. But here, Paul is describing him as being a sin offering. In other words, he was offered up for the sin of this world. And then in Ephesians, when he's writing to the church at Ephesus, he says that this offering that came through Jesus Christ was a fragrant offering. In other words, it smells good. It is pleasing. Stephanie said it when she was praying the prayer today at the end of, of the singing and during the transition when she said, Lord, let our praise and let our worship be a sweet fragrance unto you. So it is a gift that we give. But it is because He showed us how to have a giving spirit by demonstrating it by his own gifts. It was a fragrant offering. So here's the reality of what happened. It, the scripture says the rich became poor. Well, who was being talked about? He's talking about Jesus. Jesus was rich. Jesus had everything. Jesus all, had all of heaven at his disposal, and he walked away from it all so that he could come into this earth and do the job as Savior that he was called to do from the very foundations of the earth. So he was rich in his surroundings, but he left them so that he could be born in a lowly manger. He was rich in worship and praise where the angels of heaven were honoring him for who he was and he came to an earth that ridiculed him spat upon him and crucified him but he was willing to do it for you and for me he was rich in purity and holiness but he took our sin upon himself so that we could be free from it you say pastor that all sounds good but are you talking about money i am I'm talking about a giving spirit. I'm talking about transforming ourselves from being bred into a world that says it's all about me. It's all about my birth cake, birthday cake. It's all about my Christmas presents. It's all about my job and how much money I can get. It's all about my house and how big it is. It's all about my car and how new it is. It's all about I, what I can receive. And what Jesus is saying for us is follow my example. I left heaven itself self so that I could come into this world. I set aside all the riches of this world so that I could give myself in such a way so that you could become rich because of me. And then the poor became rich, it says. In other words, he took our separation and made us so right with God that we are not called servants of God, but we are friends of God. Aren't you glad to know that today? He took our sin and he gave us purity. He took our judgment and he gave us righteousness. He took death and he gave us 
life. So as we talk about our money, we need to understand that we are giving because of one who is the greatest giver that we could ever know. He is the forerunner of giving. And then thirdly, I want to talk to you about the fairness in Christian giving. Now, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 3, 4, 8, and 13 says this. It says, For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. I say this not as a command, but to prove the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness. Now, here's what he's saying. He's saying when it comes to the tithe, everybody is on a, a similar or exactly the same playing ground. 10% is 10%. You remember last week I paid Danny for being so handsomely beautiful. You remember? I gave him 10 of these business cards and I said, I'm paying your, you your salary and all you got to do is get up and look pretty in the morning. And he took them and then he paid tithe because he had 10, but he gave me back one as a tithe and then he made a promise that he would live on 90%. And so that is the tithe. But now giving is different. It is uh, unlike the tithe, the offering is a free will matter. In other words, you have a choice. You say, well, you know, if I don't tithe, is God going to get angry with me, and, and is he going to punish me? Well, let me just go back to what I told you last week that Malachi chapter 3 says about the tithe. It says, bring all of the tithe into the storehouse that there might be meat for my house. Test me in this and see if I will not pour out a blessing upon you that you cannot contain. And in that context, they say, but God, you've said that we have robbed you. How have we robbed you? And he said, because you have kept the tithe and you have kept the offering. And so there is a curse that comes upon our stuff when we refuse to give God what God wants to have, the 10% tithe. But now the offering is different. It is a free will matter. You have a choice. Do I have a virtual amen up there for that? I don't know if I do or not. They might want to see this. Unlike the tithe, the offering is a free will matter. You have a choice. Now, there are three things that I want to mention to you about this. The first is, there's a choice in giving. The second is, there is a cause for giving. And the third thing is, there is a comparison that can be done in our giving. The first is our choice. So you are not to be coerced into giving. You are not to be manipulated into giving. I ask the Lord on a regular basis to help me to be aware of that. I do everything that I can to present opportunities of giving to you without trying to manipulate or coerce you into giving. Now, obviously, in order for you to know that there is a need, that need must be shared. But if that need is shared in such a way that you are feeling coerced and manipulated, then there is something wrong with that process. You rarely hear me, if ever, get up here and say, I'm going to give $500 today to this cause. And I know that there are people in this house today that you can match that $500. Some of you can double it. Some of you can write a check today and pay for the whole thing. Because in my estimation, that is a manipulation of the offering. 
It is a coercion of the people of God. And I believe that as a leader, I will be held responsible for that. So it is not my job to say, you sorry flock of people. If you don't give to this, I'm going to pray that your big toe will fall off this week. I want you to give. I want you to do this. You have to do this. I'm just not going to operate that way. And if you have to have someone in your life that coerces you that way and manipulates you that way, then there is a spiritual problem that you need to deal with. Because giving should be something that we freely and willingly give. Now, in the month of April, we're going to start raising some money for our next missions project. And I'm going to lay out some opportunities for you, but I am not going to stand up here and say, Oh, please, please, please. Oh, if you don't do it, we're going to be so embarrassed. And oh, if you don't do it, there are going to be people who will die and go to hell because we did not support our missionary. I'm not going to do that. I am not going to manipulate you and coerce you to give. I will give you the facts of whatever it is that we're raising money for, and then I will put it in your hands to look at your heart and determine what needs to be done. Tithing represents obedience. Offering represents opportunity. Let me say that again. Tithing represents obedience. God says to every one of us, bring your tithe, your tenth, into the storehouse. The only response to that that we should rightfully have is obedience. God, if that's what you want me to do, I may not understand it. I may not know how I'm going to live through that. I don't know how I can make the 90% work better than the 100%, but God, I don't doubt you and I don't question you. And if you tell me to bring the tithe into the storehouse, I'm going to pay my tithe into the local church with a good attitude and an attitude of humility. I'm going to do it because tithing represents obedience. But offering represents opportunity. We now get the opportunity to say, Okay, I do want to give something to Joyce Meyer because I believe that she's doing a great work for the kingdom of God. I do want to be a blessing to Jensen Franklin. I do want to be a blessing to Pat Robertson. I do want to be a blessing to this one or to that one. I do want to be a blessing to someone in my church that I know that's struggling. I want to slip them an offering or get them an offering to them in some way that will take some pressure off of their life. I want to bless them in a way that no one is coercing me to do, but I want to bless them in such a way that it will lighten their load. So it's an opportunity. We put on our eyes of giving so that we're looking for opportunities to bless someone. So there's a, there is a choice in giving. But now there is a cause for giving as well. An offering points to a cause or to a need. Now this church has always been so good about this. And I, you know, sometimes it feels like that I'm up here just, just beating you to senseless, you know, with the Word of God. And there are days that I go home and I, and I sit down in the chair and I, say, and I say to myself, you were mean today. I wasn't trying to be mean. I, I, I didn't come to, to, to feel mean or anything like that. I didn't even have an emotion to be mean. But sometimes the truth hurts, doesn't it? And the sad part about being a pastor or a preacher or a teacher is that you've got to speak the truth whether it feels good or whether it doesn't. But there are days that I go home feeling bad about that. But today I'm going to go home feeling good because listen... I want to say to you how proud I am of you because when a cause is given and a need is shared, in almost 10 years you have always given liberally and the need has always been met. I can't think of one time that we've had to not do something 
because not enough came in in an offering to supply the need. Every time, for 10 years almost, when there was a need that presented itself, the fine people of the Spirit Life Church of God reached, they dug deep, and they gave big, and the need was met. So I want to say thank you today because you are learning and have learned how important it is to be a giver. Then thirdly, there is a comparison in giving. Now, here's what I mean by this. I don't compare what I give to what you give. I I don't say, okay, well, I gave this amount of money, and I'm aware that they gave that amount of money, and so therefore I won this, this round. You know, I I gave 100 and they only gave 10, so I get to go to the bonus round. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm I'm not talking about comparing what I give to what you may give, or vice versa. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about here is that there's a comparison between what I give and what I keep. You see... We become givers when we are less concerned about what we will keep than what we will give. Now, I'm not anti-saving. In fact, if you're not saving, we're going to talk about this some next week. We're going to talk in very practical terms about biblical wisdom. If you're not saving, you need to be saving. I read this past week that we don't have a credit problem. We have a savings problem. Because if people would save instead of borrow on credit, they would have enough money to supply the need when the need arises rather than having to borrow it from someone else. I don't want to get started preaching next week's message. But that's free for you. We'll hit it harder next week. We'll have a full house next week. Everybody wants to know now what the pastor's going to say. But listen, if God gives me finance, he's not as interested if I go to the grave with a million dollars in my bank account than if I take that money that he provides for me and and invest it into the kingdom of God. Someone and I were talking just a few days ago and they were talking about the debt that our church carries. We haven't borrowed any money since I've been here. We've not borrowed anything at all, but we inherited some debt from days gone by. And it has become our responsibility to pay that debt back, and we're doing it. God's helping us. It was a million dollars at one time, and we've paid down about $400,000 of that. So I say praise the Lord for that. Now, I'm not reflecting on anything, anyone. I'm just giving you facts. We've been working very hard to pay that debt down. But somebody said, if I ever win the lottery, Pastor, this place is going to be debt free. I say praise the Lord for that, but you ought not be paying the lottery in the first place. I'm, 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 I'm happy for your willingness. But you know what? The Lord has been instructing me to pay, pray lately. Now, go ahead and put your seatbelt on. It's going to be hard for you, some of you. But I'm praying that there will be individuals and families who have made this church their home for many years who will include this church in their last will and testament. And say, I've got resources that I don't want to go to the government. I don't want these resources to go to somewhere that I have no accountability whatsoever. And I don't even want to give it to my children for them to waste on high living. Somebody say amen or oh me. I'm going to give my money to somebody that's going to booze it away and drug it away. And Are you okay? Are you still breathing? Check on your neighbor. I'm going to give my money to somebody who's going to invest it all in, in the lottery and things like that. I'd rather invest what I have worked hard to to earn and what God has blessed me with 
to pour it back into the kingdom of God. Why? Because the Bible says we are not to lay up for ourselves treasure on this earth, but we are to lay up treasure in heaven where rust and moth cannot decay it. And I am not going to give my money away to anybody who may not spend it to build up the kingdom of God. Both of my kids know how I feel about that. And so they know good and well they're not going to get a big chunk of money at the end of of my life. They're going to work and they're going to find a way uh, through Christ to make it. So with all that said, here's here's what I'm trying to say. There's going to come a, a, a time in our lives when we have to compare what I saved for myself and for what I built up on earth and it will be compared to what I gave and what was invested in the things of the kingdom of God. And I'm praying that there will be people who will say, you know, that that makes sense to me. I'm going to die one of these days. I'm not going to live forever. And I do have some resources. And I'm going to give some here and here and here. But this church has been a blessing to me for many, many years. And in my last will and testament, I want to make sure that that church is taken care of because they are going to continue to do ministry long after I'm gone. I didn't hear any. I didn't hear any, so I'm going to move on. The last thing this morning I want to share with you is the fruitfulness that comes from Christian giving. So when I invest in other people, when I invest in the kingdom of God, there will be fruit that is born from those gifts that I give. Now, let me say this. It's not just about money. Did you know that when you come to worship, that when you actively worship and give yourself to God, there are people in this congregation who had a difficult week and they don't think they're going to make it another day. And they see you worshiping God and all of a sudden it speaks to their spirit and they say, if they can make it, I can make it. If they can worship, I can worship. If I can, if I can be, if they can be a blessing, I can be a blessing. So this spirit, this attitude of giving goes beyond just money. But I want you to see what 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 through 15 says. Now, if you have your Bibles, you might want to turn there so you can follow along. It says the point is this: whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Now before I read on, let me ask you, who has the responsibility of sowing? Does God do it? No, He doesn't. You do. When you're planting your garden, nobody comes by and magically deposits deposits seed into your garden. You're responsible for that. And if you want a big load of corn on the cob, you're going to have to plant some corn seed. If you like watermelon, you're going to have to put some seed in the ground. Because if you don't put it in there, you're not going to get it. Verse 7, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. In other words, nobody's pulling your leg, nobody's pulling your chain, nobody is manipulating you, no one is coercing you, you're doing it on your own. For God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times you may abound in every good work. Let me stop. This is the one thing that I hear from people through the years more than anything else about tithing or giving. I just don't have it to give, Pastor. It's like the guy in the video last week. Crazy giving, crazy. It'd be crazy right now if I tried to give God a dime. I just don't have it. Well, if you don't have it, there are some reasons for that. 
And with the help of the Lord, we can fix the reasons so that God can provide the sufficiency so that we can tithe and give. That's what it says. God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Write this down. Sufficiency is determined by need, not want. Sufficiency is determined by need, not want. Now, I like the new Ford Super Duties. Those things look sharp. Would you not agree? And some of you make them, and I appreciate you making them. They are tough looking. And I, the diesel in particular, it just revs me up. You know what I'm saying? It's my blood stirring. Makes me want one. But when I start thinking about sufficiency versus need, then I come back to reality pretty quickly. Now the Lord provided for me a year, two years ago with a 2003 Ford F-250 Super Duty diesel. And I drive that thing almost every day of my life. I love going out in the mornings early when my neighbors are still asleep. <laughs> Cranking that thing over and letting it warm up. The lady next door, she wakes up, she's still got stuff in her hair and comes out. And <laughs> what in the world's going on? Don't, don't mind me, I'm just super dutying. I'm not bragging now. Please don't, don't misunderstand where this is coming from. But I get to drive that super duty every day of my life, and I have no car payment, no truck payment on it at all. Because God provided for me. I have all sufficiency in all things. Donna's little car that she drives around. Engine sounds something like this. Sweet little car. Gets good gas mileage. We needed it because sometimes when I'm gone, she has to go pick up the grandbabies. She has to go pick up, you know, the groceries and things like that. She needs a little car. But thank God, because of the sufficiency of God, we're able to drive that car without a car payment because it's paid for. Now, some of you are looking at me like you got lost a long time ago. I'm talking about money today. Not long ago, we sat down and we had a conversation about maybe selling her little car and taking the money and buying a used minivan. You know why? Because number one, we're old enough that we don't care what people think about us. That's one thing. We're old enough that we don't care about that kind of stuff. But on the rare occasions that we have to have all of the Franklin grandchildren in that little car, it is a nut house. You got Harper on one end, Jovi on, on the other, and you got Henry in there. Have you ever tried to get three car seats in the back seat of a Honda CRV? <laughs> Takes a divine miracle of God. So we talked about why don't we get us a little minivan? We don't have to go in debt. We don't have to put thousands and thousands of dollars into this. And we can have a little more room. 
So we started talking about it. We started doing a little research, started looking up some used vehicles and that kind of thing. And you know what I decided very quickly? The need is not strong enough at this point, and I don't want it. See, there's a difference between what we think we need and what we actually need. I got to thinking, I very rarely have all three Franklins in my cart one time. And when they are there, I can pray for divine help in that situation. I'm sure not going to go in debt for it. Because that would take the money that I like having. So that I can bless others. So what am I saying today? I'm saying there's a difference between sufficiency being determined by need and not want. Do I need it or do I just want it? Do I want a bigger TV or do I need a bigger TV? Do I need a bigger house or do I want a bigger house? What about sufficiency and need? Everybody okay? Punch your neighbor and say, he's meddling now. He's not preaching anymore. He's meddling. Verse 9, as it is written, he is distributed freely. He is given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Verse 10, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. Increase what? My harvest for righteousness. So let me just ask you something. If God suddenly gave you an increase in salary, would, it use, would you use it to advance yourself or to sow into the kingdom of God? I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not mean. I'm not mad. I'm not frustrated with anybody. I'm just asking you a question for your consideration. If God suddenly gave you an increase in salary, would you spend it on yourself or would you sow it into the kingdom of God? You say, every dollar? No, I'm not talking about every dollar. I'm saying pay your tithe on it. So it will not be cursed, but it will be blessed. Use a portion of it to save for emergencies. Use a portion of it to give to those who are in need. Use it wisely according to kingdom principles, and God will continue to bless you. Verse 11, you will be enriched in every way. To be generous in every way which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. Verse 12, For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgiving to God. Verse 13, By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. While they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you, thanks be to God for this inexpressible gift. Donna, come help me quit if you will. There are three things that you need to understand about giving very quickly as I close. Can I, can I just pause long enough to tell you that you are in the presence of a miracle right now? <laughs> Not him. Her. Although you're pretty good too. She's barefooted this morning. I don't know if you've noticed that. Because she wore some shoes to church this morning and had a blowout. Have you ever had a blowout? I mean, the whole bottom of the shoes came apart. The whole thing. She's looking for duct tape. She's looking for super glue, looking for everything. And she said, well, if I have to, 
I'll just go barefoot. But I noticed when she was playing the piano, she had shoes on. But they are not your shoes, are they? I don't know where you got those shoes. But somebody loaned her a pair of shoes for her to use while she's playing the piano on a day that I'm talking about sowing and giving. That's a miracle. She needed shoes and somebody brought her some shoes. Now they're probably gonna take them back when church is over, but that's okay. It's amazing how God does things when we are faithful to Him. Amen. I thought Shannon was going to go over there and steal the shoes. I wasn't <laughs> sure what was going on here. Now listen, when we give according to God's plan, there are three things that happen. First of all, we will accumulate more. So, Pastor, I thought you said we shouldn't be worried about accumulating. No, I'm not talking about accumulating just for the sake of accumulating. We will accumulate so that we can do the work of God. John 12, verses 23 through 26 says, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. And I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. The man who loves his life will lose it, while the man who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. So Jesus said, I must die so that my seed can go into the ground so that it can produce further seed. And we all know that because of the death of Jesus Christ, the world today is populated with millions upon millions upon millions of men and women who have been saved and brought into the kingdom of God because Jesus died and rose again. Amen? Isn't that good news? So you will accumulate more, you will accomplish more. I don't know anybody who doesn't want to accomplish more for the kingdom of God. But He will put in your hands what you need to accomplish what needs to be accomplished. God will give you more when He can trust you to use it properly. God will give you more when He can trust you to use it properly. And then the final thought, you will appreciate it more. Listen, when you give, you come to understand that there's a sacrifice in giving. You come to understand that Jesus gave sacrificially. God the Father gave sacrificially. When we give, it at times can be sacrificially. In fact, all the time it is sacrificially because I'm taking what I could keep or what I could use and I'm putting it in someone else's hands so that they can be blessed by it. So we accumulate more, we accomplish more, and we appreciate more. Close with this little story that I read this week. Somebody asked this, this farmer, his name was Applegate, so they asked about Farmer Applegate's cow. And they said, how much milk does that critter give? Farmer Applegate, Applegate said, well, if you mean by voluntary contribution, she don't give much. But if you can back her in the corner so she can't kick nobody, an able-bodied man can take away 11 quarts a day. That's good. I know some Christians that they don't give a whole lot based on what they just choose to do. But if you back them in a corner and you coerce them and you manipulate them and you put them where they can't kick much, you can get 11 quarts out of them a day.
Listen, God is not pleased. Listen, when those TV preachers start begging you for your money, turn it to another channel. God doesn't want you to be coerced and manipulated. And if this pastor ever starts manipulating you and coercing you, you come tell me about it, and I'll analyze my approach. Because I promise you, I do not want to violate your free will, and I do not want to violate the Word of God and His processes. I believe that when people are discipled properly, they will tithe of their own will and of their own accord. And people will give of their own free will and their own desire. Because God's will is close to them. Stories told of a Christian woman who was a beneficiary in a will. She was, she was surprised to receive a rather sizable sum of money. And as was her custom, she immediately gave a portion of it to the Lord's work. Contribution she made was never known. It was never publicized until after her death. An entry was found in her diary written on the very day that she received the inheritance. And referring to that inheritance, she wrote these words, Quick, quick, before my heart gets hard. Quick, before my heart gets hard. So, when it comes to tithing and giving, let's do it faithfully. Let's lay it aside on the first day of the week. Let's do it quick before we find other needs that need to take it from us. I'm going to pray for you today. And after I pray, we're going to have the intercessors come and they're going to be up front. You have a prayer need of any kind today. You need healing in your body. You need a financial blessing. You need an emotional blessing. I want you to come.